0: Welcome to the Deeper Dive podcast brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. The Deeper Dive podcast is about going deeper into God's Word, learning new insight, and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. Today, we continue with part two from our Q&A with Gordon Ferguson from our series, Revelation Revealed. So why are there so many theories about the end times
1: you know, i've thought about that one a lot uh, i think first of all just basic human curiosity in act 17 as paul is talking about the athenians uh, or rather he's talking to them but uh, luke writes this and describes them it says in verse 21 of act 17 all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. One of the uh, first guys I got around that was all into the millennial stuff, he was into a lot of other stuff too. He had uh, diagrams of the pyramids in Egypt and measurements and what each of that, those things stood for. I mean, he He was looking for any speculation he could grab. It fascinated him, but he showed me all that, and I didn't know enough Bible at that point to fill a uh, a cup or a thimble. Uh, But anyway, at some phase of our discussion, I finally said, listen, what does all this really matter to you and me right in the here and now? And he looked kind of dumbfounded a moment. He says, well, I guess if all this stuff is about to happen, we should tell people about Jesus and help them get ready to meet him. And I said, good idea. Let's fold all this stuff up here that was covering his entire table. Let's fold all this stuff up here and go out and meet some people and talk to them about Jesus. So uh, that's what we did. Anyway, a second thing that I've thought about a lot is so many people talk about Jesus coming in our day. We have had date date setters, rather. Uh, since I can remember, I remember when I was 10 years old, I read in the newspaper, the Shreveport Times newspaper in Louisiana, I still remember reading it, I was about 10, 11 years old, and this guy said the world was going to end December, the whatever it was. And it was early December, and he said that it was going to be later December or something, and I didn't know anything, and so that just scared me to death. I crawled up in my grandmother's magnolia tree, pulled out my trusty little pocket knife, and wrote my initials, G B F. And I put the date on it in December the 5th, uh, whatever year that was, 1950 something. Anyway, I, I wrote that in there and I said to myself, if that dude is wrong, although we didn't say dude back then, by the way, except dude ranch. Uh, but I said, if that fellow, is wrong, I'm going to crawl back up here and look at that date. And I did it many times. That was my first uh, re, uh, remembrance of a date setter. But there have been so many since then. And yet the Bible's clear. You can't, you, no one knows the day or the hour. I mean, the Bible says that repeatedly. We can't know. And yet people set dates. One reason I think is because a lot of people are enough afraid of death that they want him to come in their lifetime so they don't have to get old like me and go through whatever I'm going to go before I check out of here. Uh, Getting old and sick and dying and however we uh, manage to leave this earth, uh, that's not, you know, something that we look upon with a great deal of anticipation as far as the dying part. Now, going to be with the Lord, that's another matter. But I think maybe fear of death has motivated a lot of people to want to think we're at the end times now, that way I don't have to die. That's just a thought. But the bigger thing is underneath it all, Satan is the great deceiver, and he is really, really good at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. He says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. So that's saying God is not going to force us to believe the truth. If we want to be deceived, he'll let us be deceived. But Satan, his whole, he is the great deceiver. Revelation 12, he is the great deceiver. That's what he does. And so then in 2 Corinthians 11, here's another uh, very appropriate passage, verses 13 to 15. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And so I would just say that Satan deceives people and he gets them caught up in things like this that uh, uh, get them off track of what they should be focusing on. He'll use anything he can. He will use anything that's worldly, materialism, entertainment, uh, he'll use anything that he can uh, to divert us from focusing on God. And that's all just a part of Satan's deception. And so for some reason, this end times gets hold of people in such a way that it can really divert them from focusing on what they need to focus on. Those are some thoughts.
0: So with that, in your opinion, can we have other interpretations of Revelation?
1: Uh, yes. I remember a, a guy in Boston years ago that had started coming to church, and he had a very religious background in another church that I'm not all that familiar with. But he heard me teach on Revelation one time in Boston. We used to have these things we called... Uh, Uh, Bible Jubilees. That's what Randy McKean chose as the title, and so we would get together in the Boston Garden, and then later after that was torn down in the Fleet Center, which is probably called the Garden again. Anyway, we'd have all-day things with several thousand people there, and I would get to teach something I had just studied out and books that I'd just written, etc., and I did one on Revelation, and so one of those teaching days on Revelation, this fellow had just started coming to church, and he heard me teach, and so he asked for a private meeting with me sometime later, and he said, Gordon, he said, "Uh, I heard you teach on Revelation. I know that your church uh, evidently believes pretty much what you've taught about uh, Revelation, And uh, yet I was raised in a different background. I have a different view from the book of Revelation. So my question is, uh, I've been convinced about discipleship. I've been convinced about baptism. I was missing that in my former church. So what I want to know is, can I get baptized and become a part of this fellowship if I have a different view of Revelation? And I said, wow, that's a good question. And I said, uh, it all depends on what you do with it. If you can hold this view and not get so caught up in it that you've got to go around and try to convince everybody else of it, if you can do that, uh, then that's fine. I don't, I don't care. You don't have to believe what I believe, but you can't make this a hobby and an issue and get uh, in the business of trying to convince everybody of your view on it and make it uh, a real special emphasis of your life like a lot of people do. But uh, if you can keep it at a personal view, I, I don't really care. Uh, although I think I'm right, uh, I, don't, I don't care as, as long as you just don't go off on these crazy tangents and get all caught up in it, et cetera, et cetera. So the guy got baptized. He's been one of the finest members of the Boston church uh, since then. Uh, all, anyone in Boston, if I used his name, they would know exactly who it was. I mean, he is, has been that great a guy. He's never been on the church staff, and yet he is one of the greatest disciples I have ever known, one of my favorite people. I don't know what he believes today, but that illustration I use just to let people know that it's not so much the view that's concerning. It's so getting caught up in it that it becomes so vital to you. Uh, there are people today talking about things that I just, I cringe when I hear it. They get all into this whole, they've politicized everything. Uh, they, you know, it's uh, whether we're talking about COVID-19 and vaccines and masks or whatever, we, we've got such a divide over something that there should not be a divide over. Uh, you know, I, I just... I just grieve at that, honestly. I told I told the church not long ago, I said, I saw this shirt. It says, uh, ignorance can be educated. Crazy can be medicated. But there ain't no cure for stupid. And I said, the truth is, I could pass those out to this entire group right now. And every one of you could put it on in good conscience because you think anyone that disagrees with you on some of these issues is the stupid one. Uh, that's sad. You know, it's funny, but it's sad. Uh, I'm so focused on Jesus. I am not going to let anything sidetrack me, be it some interpretation of Revelation or some other passage like Matthew 24 or whatever. Those are not the things I major on. I major on Jesus what he teaches, the life that I'm to live to reflect him. I am not going to get caught up in any kind of political situation. I'm not going to politicize anything, and I wish I could get everybody else to do the same thing. Uh, So I got a lot of feelings about that, and Revelation certainly applies to the principle, and that is anything that begins to consume us so that it becomes what we talk about more than we talk about Jesus and the gospel. It's just flat wrong. We've lost our focus and we are uh, spiritually not doing well. So one time, uh, a former leader, yeah, that got a lot of the campus ministry stuff started, guy named Chuck Lucas. Someone asked him, are you a premillennialist or a nonmillennialist? He said, well, I'm sort of a pan millennial, millennialist. Somebody said, pan millennialist, what in the world is that? He said, I just believe if we hang on to Jesus and live the life for him, I think it's all gonna pan out in the end. And uh, that's always appealed to me, that's funny. I like that one. Uh, So uh, do I think you can differ with me? Sure. Uh, I've got good brothers that I know differ from me on some of what I've said today that believe basically what I do, uh, a view that is generally called amillennialism. We don't believe in a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. That's another question that we could discuss had we more time. But anyway, I do discuss that in the uh, podcast series of four, and I certainly uh, discuss it as well and other writings, and so forth. My website, gordonferguson.org, has a bunch of uh, articles on so many different topics, so you can go there for more information, or go to Jacoby's website. He answers a lot of questions, and if you buy into the uh, uh, basic uh, subscription and pay for, he, he's got a ton of material on all kinds of subjects that are very helpful.
0: So maybe you answered this question in your last answer, but do you believe that end times theology is a salvation issue?
1: No, not per se. I think my last answer sort of covers that. I don't think it's a salvation issue unless you let it become that. Unless you let it become something that gets you so off focus that it puts your relationship with God in jeopardy. Uh, and I do believe that that can happen, and I do know people that have gotten off track on all kinds of situations that I think have led them astray from what Jesus wants them to be, and ultimately God's going to have to judge it, but I wouldn't want to be them. I'll say that. I think they've lost so much of their focus on Christ and the life he's called us to live and the influence that he wants us to have. They've lost so much focus on that that, uh, yeah, I, I think it definitely calls them to question their relationship with God, but he's got to decide that on the judgment day, not me. So I would say if we take, I mean, we, we can talk about baptism for the dead, 1 Corinthians 15. We can talk about uh, a number of different things and uh, get caught up in it, and it becomes what we study, and it's about all that we talk about, and I, I just think all of that Uh, puts us in danger, and I think there are a lot of current issues, political issues, and other issues that people are so focused on, they'll get on and do podcasts on it. I clicked on one today. I guess it's someone I'm a friend with on Facebook. I just happened to click on it, and it's someone who's all off into the whole uh, political realm, and I've had friends that I, I defriended, or whatever you do, on Facebook, because all they could talk about is politics on either side, uh, either side, the extreme conservative, extreme liberal, whatever else, I, you know, whichever side, if that becomes your life and you preach that more than you preach the gospel, I think you've got a problem. And if you're into Revelation so much as that's all you think about and talk about to everyone, rather than dealing with the things that the Bible focuses on, the New Testament does, then, yeah, I think it can become a salvation issue. But am I disturbed if you differ from me on it? and you're really living the life and trying to help other people get right with God, and you have a relationship with God that's growing and that you're focused on, does it bother me if you have some different view on Revelation than I do? No, it doesn't. So
0: how do we distinguish what to interpret literally and what is symbolic? Well, that's a good question on any
1: passage in the Bible that seems to be extreme. You know, if your eye causes you uh, to offend, uh, pluck it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. I mean, is that literal? Uh, I don't think we think so. Luke 14, when he's talking about counting the cost, he says in verse 33, unless you give up everything you have, you can't be my disciples. Well, does that mean the clothes on my back and my house and my car and my uh, smartphone and my Earring, or I mean, is that literal? I don't think so, but I think he's saying that you do uh, get rid of all of it as far as relinquishing the control of it to God, and you become the manager of your possessions so that they don't possess you, you view them as belonging to God. So there are tons of passages that. Uh, are not to be taken literally, but when, you, when it comes to Revelation, you can just know for a fact that most of it's gonna be symbolic. That's just the way that apocalyptic language works. Most of it will be symbolic. Is Jesus a lion? Is he a lamb? Chapter five, yes, he is, both, but not literally. He doesn't morph into one of those in a literal sense. The numbers are not meant to be literal, 144,000. You know, there is a group that uh, believes that 144,000 literally go to heaven, all the rest stay on the earth. I asked a woman one time in that particular religious group, would you like to be one of those special spiritual 144,000 and go to heaven? She said, oh, no, I'd rather be on the earth. So uh, we don't take that literally. Why would we? Take the 144,000 to be symbolic, as most people do, and then get to the 1,000 in Revelation 20 and say, oh, no, that's got to be a literal thousand-year reign on the earth. Well, it doesn't say that Christ is on the earth uh, in that particular passage. A whole lot of things it doesn't say that people think it says. Christ on earth is one of them. It doesn't say anything about Christ being on earth. Uh, The thousand is a symbolic number. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Does Satan own the thousand first hill worth of cattle? Uh, God said he keeps his uh, his word to a thousand generations. Does he start lying after that? I mean, uh, a thousand is used in the Bible just as a large number. We usually use the term like a million. I'd never do that in a million years. We like million better better than we do thousands. So we use million a lot the same way they use thousand. So if you're looking at Revelation, you can just bet that most of it is going to be symbolic because that is the very nature of the
0: language being used. How do we avoid having division based on differing opinions of Revelation and end times theology?
1: Not let it become too important. I, I would say that's a quick answer to it. It, you know, I've taught it tons of times. I used to teach in a ministry training school, and I was, there's certain courses that I taught once, and the seven years I taught there, some I taught a couple times. I taught most every book in the Bible at one time, a verse at a time, you know, pretty much all of them, but there were certain ones that became sort of my courses, and I was the only one that taught them over and over and over. Revelation just ended up one of those books. Romans was one, taught Romans and Galatians together. Uh, I taught the Old Testament. I taught the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. I was the teacher that did it. I did it almost every time. And I always did Revelation. I don't know how I ended up with that, but uh, I did. And so I tried to read different books with different viewpoints. And I got quite acquainted with all the different viewpoints that were out there. And so what I believe is not because that's all I've ever studied far from it uh, i've studied uh, lots of different views on revelation but uh, I, I just don't let it become something that becomes uh, a real hang up for you that uh, like some people are doing right now with other issues in the world they're getting all caught up in political or politicized issues and it's dividing people and it's just flat unhealthy Paul talked about giving up his rights in 1 Corinthians 9. I mean, even giving up the right to be married. Goodness, that's a pretty big right to give up in my judgment. We just celebrated our 57th wedding anniversary. I can not imagine uh, not having been married all that time. But Paul said he'd give up anything to keep some, from a fellow disciple from really being hurt spiritually. And he said, I, I'll drink no wine forevermore. I won't eat, eat this kind of food forevermore. I mean, he was willing to bend over backwards, uh, not to cause anyone to be hurt spiritually in their faith. And yet we've got people that are so concerned about their rights, they're willing to hurt anybody. Uh, That's that's craziness. It's just sin. That's what it is. Anything that takes us over, that we preach and get more excited about and more worked up over than we do Jesus Christ and his gospel. It is sin.
0: What are some other books that you would recommend on revelation?
1: You know, I hadn't read any new ones for a good while. Uh, I know uh, there are certain guys in our family of churches that have books. You can check, check on Illumination Publishers. He handles all of my books and most everyone else's books. I think you could find some good ones there. Uh, I've certainly read uh, the writings of guys uh, certainly like Jacobi on Revelation. Uh, We don't necessarily agree on everything, but we agree on most things. Uh, Steve Kennard, I know, has written on prophecy. I don't remember if he's got a book on Revelation or not. He might well have that. Uh, But I would just say, look on Illumination Publishers. I should have done that before this Q&A because I haven't bought a book on Revelation for a good while now. Uh, I just studied it out so much at one time. There are a lot of things I haven't studied out as much as I have this that I'd rather focus on now. And as you age, you get different interests and different things occupy you. And so I tend to study about Jesus more than anything as I age. But then there are current topics that I also get into, the role of of women. I've studied more on that in the last few years than I ever have before, although I've studied it 50 years. But anyway, uh, sometimes it's topics of interest. But a lot of what I study is how is this going to help me in my relationship with God? How am I going to see him as my Abba? father? How am I going to see him as my friend? Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. John 15, 15. How can I see God as the great I am and yet see him as my Abba, my dad? How can I do that? So I'm more into books that help me with my relationship with God because I'm closer than ever to meeting him. You might be too. You just don't know it yet. But at 79, I'm pretty sure that the my candle is getting near the end of the wick there. So uh, you just have to look up some books like that and then ask other teachers what they found helpful. I do have books on my shelf there that I've certainly read in, in past years, a number of them, but uh, I don't study Revelation as much as I once did.
0: So regardless of interpretation, what is the main message all true Christians should take from Revelation?
1: Well, I think, you know, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. In me, you have peace. But in the world, you're going to have trouble. So when I look at Revelation, I realize that whatever problems I'm facing and have gone through and will go through, they probably will pale in comparison to what those early Christians faced in the persecution. So I need to learn to expect that this world is not heaven. The world is not gonna act like heaven. Those in the world certainly are not going to. And some of those in the church, all of us are gonna have times when we're not acting much like Jesus that we profess. So we're gonna have some troubles in the church and out of the church. And we need to be prepared for that and not let that shake us and not let that get get us off track with God and our relationship with him. That's one lesson, is that we are going to have challenging times. And, you know, what may be a huge challenge to me might not have been much of a challenge in comparison to uh, persecution in the first, second century. But it's big to me. And I've got to learn how to handle it. You know, I got a diagnosis to start the year off. I got a diagnosis of cancer. So uh, the last six weeks or whatever have been an interesting up and down uh, trip with that. I I called it a roller coaster ride with God in a very long article I wrote describing it. I did uh, get more tests done, went to a different doctor for a second opinion, basically about what treatment to to get and they ended up uh, wanting to put me through more tests and they put me through more tests and it came out not showing cancer. But I've got an appointment on uh, Monday to see a surgeon and to let them put me to sleep. I always view that as a nice little nap. The older I've gotten, the more I've become acquainted with anesthesiology. And so I'll get me a little nap and uh, the doctor will check me out and see if there's anything left where the cancer was. that looks suspicious, precancerous, whatever. I'm not sure exactly what she's looking for, but uh, I've got to go through that. So I've had a whole series of, I went for most of my life, never having any kind of surgery. Since I moved to Dallas seven years ago, I've had five. And a number of other tests that have not been too much fun either. I had an MRI that took 45 minutes recently looking for cancer. And uh, actually, that wasn't bad. I don't mind MRIs. All that noise and stuff's kind of cool. And I just get sleepy in, in there. I don't have claustrophobia. I, I get uh, sleepy. So anyway, those, those are my recent challenges but there are plenty of others that I've had and plenty of others I will have perhaps before I'm gone, but we got to handle those uh, with God's help and understand the big picture. I think revelation teaches me the big picture. The big picture is this life ain't it. This is not the big picture. And it goes by really fast. I mean, I was a teenager a few days ago, a few months ago, and now all of a sudden I'm old and willing to admit it. But, um, The message is there will be hard times, but God will triumph and we will end up with him where there are no tears, no crying, no hard times, no bad news, no, none of that. It will all be a wonderful day that never ends. So that's what I get out of Revelation. Hang in there with God, no matter what it seems like. No matter how bad it gets in your mind and in your experience, do not give up on God. Do not give up on his people. They're going to They're gonna have some problems too, but don't give up on his people. Hang in there, and one day you'll look back on it, and it will seem as nothing. My favorite passage in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. And he talks about uh, our outer man is perishing. Uh And our inner man is renewed day by day. And he says our afflictions, our troubles are light and momentary. And of course, you look at Paul's afflictions and call those light. Wow. But he also called them momentary. And that's the point. They're light in terms of their duration. They don't last that long. Life doesn't last that long. But eternity lasts forever and ever and ever. So he said, We set our eyes not on things that are seen, which are temporary, but on things that are unseen, which are eternal. So the book of Revelation to me is summed up in my favorite passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, getting our eyes fixed on the right thing, which puts our troubles in perspective and
0: puts eternity in our focus. That's a great way to end our discussion here. Gordon, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for this time, this Q&A, but thank you so much for the teaching over the last several weeks here in our Revelation Revealed series. We really appreciate you and definitely be praying for you and everything going on with your health. And so thank you again, Gordon.
1: Okay, Marcel, good being with you, man. Good to see you. You always have that bright, shiny smile that encourages me
0: well thank you thank you and thank you everyone for listening to our deeper dive by the oc church of christ if you want to check out more from gordon ferguson go to his website gordonferguson.org if you want to get connected to our church or want to donate to the program go to our website occhurchofchrist.com or you can reach us through social media at the oc church join us next time for our next deeper dive